The reading for today is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Laura. Walter Brugman talks about how part of the reason we worship is to develop a prophetic imagination for what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And I got to tell you, when we hear, we get to hear uh, Mallory and Reagan and Malia sing and uh, uh, Tina and Andrew and all them play, I think we get a good prophetic imagination of what the kingdom of heaven will be like. That was really beautiful, and I really appreciate them stepping in to do that. Yes. There you go. Um, no, I'm just so thankful for, for what we get to experience here at this church. Uh, before I get into the book of Ephesians, I, I wanted to point out something that you guys received um, on your way in. This is a thing. It says, We Fast, Others Feast, Lent 2018. If you were here on Wednesday for our Ash Wednesday service, you heard a little bit about this, but... We, we have entered into the season of the church called Lent. Lent is where we are really anticipating and looking forward to uh, what we are doing when we celebrate and remember the crucifixion and the resurrection. It, it's similar to Advent, and, and we believe that we need to take intentional time in the church to prepare our hearts for this reality. And the ways we do this are through prayer, it's through uh, scripture reading, it's through oftentimes giving uh, a Lent offering or something like that. And it's through fasting, and um, we've had James Journey, who is one of our uh, drummers, he is our RC leader, he leads our prayer nights, he compiled this prayer guide for us through this time, and attached to that are some, I think, creative ways to refocus our hearts towards Christ in there, and I want to challenge you to look at that. If you've never participated in Lent, if you think that I'm still talking about the stuff that comes off the dryer... Um, this is something different. Uh, you know, it took me a while to figure out that you had to actually remove that stuff from the dryer for it to work properly. Granted, it took me a long time to figure out you had to wash clothes. Um, so there's a learning basis there. But I, I, I want to just encourage you guys to, to look at it. This is a great thing to go through just as an individual, as a family, as an RC. Uh, and one of the things that I think is unique and why it says we fast, others feast is because it speaks to the particularities of what it means for Christians to fast. That we don't fast for self-improvement. We don't fast 
to make ourselves more likable to God because that's not really doesn't enter into the conversation of Christianity. God loves us regardless of how we are. This is really to uh, remind us, one, of our hunger for God, and also to develop in us margin for the sake of loving and caring for others, to turn our focus from ourselves outwards to others. So in a real sense that when Christians fast, other people around us should feast. Um, and, and there's some creative ways in how you can, either as an individual or as a family, engage in practices that can cultivate that. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. There's a web, there's a link on there. It's arcadia.redemptionaz.com. And actually, I realize that's, that's wrong. That's unfortunate. It's redemptionaz.com, not redemption.com. Um, I don't know where you'll end up if you go to redemption.com. Um, but uh, it's unfortunate to figure it out just now after we printed so many of them. Um, so... Uh, with that said, let's talk about Ephesians. Um, so we've been, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. As Frank pointed out, we've been spending about six or seven weeks in this. We're only to, to verse 11 of chapter 1. That's how detailed of a look we're looking at Ephesians right now, where we are really taking our time through this book. And all, although it might seem tedious, hopefully we've already seen the fruit of it, that there is so much packed into this book. That this is truly an incredible book about the gospel of Jesus Christ as it plays out in the life of the church. And what, a, what an important book for this time. What an important book for the world that we live in now. To understand that it is God who gives the victory and not us. To understand that we have been brought into a community of people. Not just that we're kind of alone, uh, lone rangers kind of trying to do this spirituality on ourselves. But that we've been brought in to the story of God. And, and we've really been focusing the last few weeks on just kind of the very opening from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. That's what's been read, and that's what will be read, read all the way up through next week. Um, and although we're closing, we're coming to a close, I think it's important to remember kind of the scope of what we're doing. And I love how Paul begins this book, because Paul, Paul doesn't begin as, as a theologian. He doesn't begin as a teacher. He begins as a worshiper. That this is a, this is a book that begins with just him worshiping. Him just reflecting and ruminating on the reality of God's salvation. Of what God has accomplished through the Father's will, through the Son's redemptive work on the cross, and through the Spirit's indwelling of His people. That redemptive work, He is just moved by it. He is overwhelmed by the reality that God would do this. And we're getting to see the fruit of that. That, that He is truly responding in that way to that. And that's what, that's what this is about, is God the Father chose us and lavished upon us every spiritual blessing, redeeming us through the Son's blood in order to unite all things in Him. That's what we've been seeing. It's kind of a summary of what we've been looking at. Now, as we get to this section, verse 11 through 12, I, I think it's important to understand also the, the context in which Paul was writing this. And, and not so much the context of Ephesians, but Paul's own kind of personal background. Because there's, there's, there's an underlying narrative that's informing what he's talking about, and it has to do with who Paul was. Paul, it's easy to read and think that Paul was a 21st century theologian, or that he was some 15th century reformer, but the truth is Paul was a Jewish rabbi. That was his background. His understanding of predestination didn't come through Calvin or Luther or anybody like that. It came through Abraham. 
His understanding of redemption came through understanding the way that it worked in Passover. And what we see here is actually a, a reappropriation of the story of Israel's redemption. That's what's happening in verse 3 through 14. All the way from the choosing of Abraham to the conquest of the land. That he's using language, he's using imagery underlying these, thing, the, these statements to fill out what it means that we as a church have been saved into the church. What does it mean that he's uniting all things under him? Like Frank said, this, this passage that we're looking at has predestination in it. And the best way to understand predestination in the context of Ephesians is understanding it through Abraham. That's how he's reading this, that God, out of nowhere, chose this man. We have no reason to believe that he was good. We have no reason to believe that he would be faithful. There's nothing about Abraham. The story starts with God choosing him in the same way God chooses us to be brought in to it. And what we ultimately get to is that now he is giving his people, the church, an inheritance for the sake of his glory. And particularly that idea of inheritance is why I think it's so important that we understand Jewish context. But first, I want to I kind of share, a, a, have a story that also weaves in uh, through this sermon that will give us, I think, a little bit of the heart underlying it. The, the, the problem, why does this matter to us? Um, if you've spent much time with me, you know that I, I have some weird, like, peculiarities. I, I love tacos, and uh, I love other things like, like tacos, like burritos, and other things like that. I'm not saying I have good food tastes, but I have particular tastes. And one of those particular tastes is um, I love sci-fi, and I, and I love good sci-fi, good science fiction. Um, there is a difference between bad science fiction and good science fiction. Science fiction isn't just about things happening in the future with technology. Um, like, I think I, it makes me so sad because I feel like our kids deserve better than The Hunger Games and Divergent. Those things are stupid. Those things are bad. Bad sci-fi. And we can do better than that. Um, my favorite author within the sci-fi genre is a man named Ray Bradbury. Uh, he's an incredible writer. You may have heard of him. He wrote Fahrenheit 451, uh, The Martian Chronicles, Dandelion Wine. He, he's been around for a long time. And even if you don't like that particular genre, he's an incredible writer. He's just a fantastic um, writer. And I promise I have a point in why I'm telling you all this. Um, in 1951, he published a series of short stories that he entitled The Illustrated Man. And within those short stories, there's a particular story that that I think sheds light on what's underneath this passage. And it's a story called, simply, The Man. And it begins in much the way that many sci-fi uh, stories begin, with uh, people landing their rocket ship on a distant planet. And that's exactly what happens here. They've been traveling through space for years, and finally find a planet that has life on it. They fly over the city. They know that the people in there have seen them. They land expecting what you would typically expect, this incredible shock, this incredible reverence, all these people very curious and excited about the fact that after all of this time, they finally landed on their planet. And they land in nothing. There's nothing. Nobody comes out to meet him. Nobody comes out to greet him. And you can tell that they're upset. There's really two characters in it that they focus in on. A guy named Captain Hart, who's the, the leader of the rocket ship, who's the leader of the um, 
team, and then this man named Martin, or Mr. Martin. And this is the conversation they have right at the beginning, um, as, as they're kind of frustrated that nobody's coming out to see them. Captain Hart's speaking. He says, really, Martin, I don't know why we bother. We build rockets. We go to all the trouble of crossing space, searching for them, and this is what we get, neglect. Look at those idiots wander about in there. Don't they realize how big this is? The first space flight to touch their provincial land. How many times has that happened? Are they that blasé? Martin didn't know. Captain Hart gave him back the binoculars wearily. Why do we do it, Martin? This space travel, I mean. Always on the go. Always searching. Our insides always tight. Never any rest. Maybe we're looking for peace and quiet. Certainly there's none on earth, said Martin. No, there's not, is there? Captain Hart was thoughtful. Not since everything went by the board, everything we used to believe in, eh? Divine power and all that. And so you think maybe that's why we're going out to the stars, eh, Martin? Looking for our lost souls, is that it? Trying to get away from our evil planet to a good one? Perhaps, sir. Certainly we're looking for something. So we see very quickly in this story that this is a story that's told one way but meaning something different. It's about something else. It's about that thing that we're all searching for. It's about that underlying kind of gnawing desire for something more. This feeling that there's something not right about the world we live in and something needs to fix it. He says, perhaps, sir, certainly we're looking for something. I want to argue that what we see in verse 11, this idea of this inheritance that we've obtained, is that something? The, the inheritance that we get from God is that something that we've been looking for our whole lives, that we've been searching for, that draws us, that drives us, that through Christ we can actually receive that thing that we've been looking for in our entire lives. Ephesians 11 through 12 says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So I think the reason why it's hard to get the full scope of what's going on here is because we have a different idea of what inheritance means. To us, an inheritance is something we get when somebody else dies. And then we get it, we use it for a while, and then we die and pass it on to somebody else. And that's kind of our concept of an inheritance. And if we're reading it that way, what will, what will oftentimes happen is we'll read this and we see that. And we're like, finally, we get to talk about the stuff we get, the swag of the gospel. We get to get it, finally. But if you understand inheritance through an Old Testament Jewish understanding, that's not really where we would end up. And that's why it's important that we see that this is deeply rooted in the narrative of both calling the, the, the Passover and then ultimately the conquest of the, of the country of Israel. See, uh, inheritance means something distinct in the Old Testament. I'm going to have a few passages come up here. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.20 it says, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. So we see ultimately, first off, that the inheritance is the people of God. Next passage, it says, among these, the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. 
So not only that, but the inheritance is the land that they would ultimately come and, and get through uh, God's promise. The last we says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Aaron being the chief priest amongst them at the time, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So not only was it the people of God dwelling, not only was it the, the area of the land, but it was also the God himself was their inheritance. So we get a much different understanding. For Israel, the inheritance they got from God's predestination of Abraham was God and the land. It was the king and his kingdom. And that is the inheritance that Paul is talking about. That through Christ in him, we have obtained the king and his kingdom. This thing that we've been deeply longing for, that we deeply need, that we've been searching for our whole lives. See, the first point, and I have it up there, says that through Christ's death and the Father's choice, we inherit the king and his kingdom. That through the work that God has accomplished, through, through Christ's death and the Father's choice, we inherit the king and his kingdom. That's, that's what we ultimately receive through this. And what we get is that our inheritance is not so much something we, we get so much as something that we enter into. It is a life that we now enter into. It is being adopted into a new family, becoming a new citizen in a new country, going from death to life, once being a part of the fragmented and diseased body of Adam, to now being a part of the perfect body of Christ. It is leaving our old land to enter into a new one. That is what it's meant that we, through Christ, have obtained an inheritance. We have entered into the world where God is king, and we are living within his kingdom. Frank, last week, uh, put up a, a list of things that referred to the, the various realities of, of tomorrow's world. That's what we called it. That we are confused about God. We are confused about our, our identity, confused about purpose, confused about morality. We're depleted of joy and contentment, things like that. When we begin to get the picture of God and his kingdom, of the king and his kingdom, all of those things that are ambiguous, all those things that are uncertain here, have clarity there. We are not confused about God there. We're not confused about morality. We're not confused about our identity and purpose. All is made sense because God is king. And that's what we get to enter into. That's the inheritance that we obtain through Christ. In him, there is true and real peace. As Captain Hart and Martin ponder more and more about why these people haven't come out to him. He finally gets so frustrated that Captain Hart sends Mr. Martin into the city. He stays back. He doesn't want to talk to them. He doesn't want to stoop down to their level by going to them first. He's waiting and expecting for them to come. And Martin goes off for a while and ultimately comes back. And you can tell that there's something different on Martin's face. Not, not a bad thing, but, but, but a difference in him. He's almost glowing. He has a peace about him that he hasn't seen in a while. And at first, Martin doesn't want to talk to Captain Hart about it. But after pestering him and all that stuff, he finally gets it out of him. And Mr. Martin says, just ultimately, he's like, the truth is we're just not that big of a deal to them. They just don't really care. Um, see, something happened. And, and, and Captain Hart is, is beside himself about that. Like, not a big deal. We traveled through space and landed on their planet. How is that not a big deal? But ultimately, he keeps talking, and he says, see, what, something happened yesterday. Um, 
this person that they've been waiting for for thousands of years, millions of years really, finally showed up in their city. And he began to heal the sick, began to fight oppression and injustice and corruption. He began to give hope to the vulnerable and the poor. And because he showed up, us being here is just not a big deal. And they go back and forth about it, and ultimately Martin just tells him, I'm staying here. <laughs> I'm going to stay here with him. Captain Hart thinks he's ridiculous, says, no, you can't stay. And this is his response. He says, can't I? Try and stop me. This is what I came looking for. I didn't know it, but this is it. This is for me. I didn't know it, but this is it. He gets this taste of it. He gets to see it, and he finally witnesses and experiences what he's been looking for his whole life without even realizing it. Now, what I love about this story, and as we'll look back at it again, is it, it, it shows the different, two different ways that people respond to the fact that Jesus Christ has come and his kingdom is now at hand. There's two different types of responses. And this is something that we see, that although... Our, the inheritance of God, as Paul talks about it, is something we're all looking for. It's not something that everybody receives. It's not something that everybody enters into. And so there is something different. There is something that distinguishes people between those who receive the inheritance and those who do not. And I think that we begin to unlock that by looking at the, le- the rest of the passage. Going back to verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. And it goes on, it says, Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Once again, we see deeply embedded in this the, the Old Testament. We see the reality of, of what God saved Israel for. And we see here, if you look at Leviticus 11.45, it says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. In Exodus 19.6, it says this, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When he says that we have been chosen to be uh, for the praise of his glory, he's looking back and he already has a model of what that looks like. That God has always been setting aside a people for the sake of his glory. And this is a theme that we're going to see throughout all of Ephesians. And this is one we've already talked about. And we're going to talk about it again. And I think it's important that we talk about it every time it comes up because it is something that is so counterintuitive to who we are. That our salvation is not about us. This isn't about you. This isn't about me. This isn't because of you. This isn't because of me. Salvation is a work of God. It is driven by God. It is initiated by God. It is secured by God and is ultimately held forever by God. This is something that he drives, that he does. It is not about us. God is, people, God is forming a people for his glory, not for ours. And even our inheritance is ultimately not about us, but about God. It is so that through the work that he does through the church, the manifold wisdom of God can be shown 
throughout all of the cosmos. And we're going to look at that and see that as we look at Ephesians 2. And I think it's important that we look at this because I don't think we can ever underestimate the, the depths of our self-serving hearts. That we desperately want to serve ourselves and make everything that we see about us. And because of that, we need to be reminded over and over again that this salvation that we receive, this swag, is not about us. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about anything. It's about God and his kingdom and his glory. I teach a class at GCU. I've been uh, privileged to be able to teach a class there on worship leadership. And one of the things that we do in this class is, is look at the habits that we have, that people within our church have, to, to say, if, if we can understand the habits of the church, we can understand the things shaping our church. We can understand the, oftentimes the idolatries that, that, that are running amok within our own hearts and the life of our church. And so we started by looking at two different um, habits that a lot of people had, at least in the class. One was this idea of Netflix. Not just Netflix, but watching it until you fall asleep. So we're literally the last thing you see is some vague recollection of whatever Netflix thing you're watching. We just fall asleep to Netflix. And, and, and it's interesting because we, we said, you know, this is something that we think is harmless or that we think isn't doing anything to us, but this is both an outgrowth of a reality of our hearts and something that reinforces something in our hearts. See, what, the reason why Netflix took off the way it did is because they understood something about the darkness of our souls, which sounds like a weird thing to say, but they knew that we desperately want to be in charge more than anything. We just want to be in charge. And so they realized if we can figure out a way to make it so people don't have to go to Blockbuster and hope their movie is there or wait till 7 o'clock Eastern time for their show to come on, I think we're going to have something. And they certainly did. And they understood that what they really want is for everything to happen now. And now we live in this world where we don't ever have to wait. We can literally watch whatever movie we want, whatever TV show we want, whenever we want, on whatever we want. We can watch it on our phones, on our tablets, on our computers, on our TV. We can watch it while taking the bus. We can watch it while waiting for a meeting. We can watch it anytime we want. Whether we use it or not is a different question, but we have it available to us at all times. And what this is a deeper indication of is, is what I had said earlier, that there is something in us that desperately wants something to be king. There is something seeking something to be in charge of our lives. And oftentimes, what we're putting in there is ourselves. It's that we want to be king and queen of our lives. We want to be in charge. And we see this habit that kind of reinforces that. And then we took a look at another habit that we oftentimes have, and that's the habit of checking our phones first thing in the morning. And I'm guilty of this stuff. Uh, that we check our phones and we think, once again, this is just kind of some meaningless thing, but what does it say more deeply about our hearts and what is it reinforcing about ourselves? On the one hand, we see this hyper-individualism. We deeply want to be in charge and be able to create our own reality. Yet what we also see is that we deeply want to be connected. That when we wake up, we want to know what everybody else is doing. If an earthquake happened on the other side of the world, we want to know about it. If our friend ate a salad, we want to know about it. We want to know what's in the salad. We want to know if it was good, if there's any hashtags associated with the salad. I think salad pictures are stupid. 
Well, we want to know these things. We want this deep sense of community. And so what we understand underneath it all is not just that we want to be in charge, but we want to have some level of community. We want a kingdom. We want a culture. We want all of these things that embedded in these habits show the deeper nature of our hearts, that we are longing for that inheritance that Paul is referring to here. Well, as the story continues between Captain Hart and Mr. Martin, for a little while, Captain Hart is able to convince Mr. Martin that the man didn't really arrive there the day before, that it's one of the other captains from one one of the other ships playing a prank on them. And they're thinking this until the other captains from the other ship crash land on the planet and they all die and they realize, well, they were never here, so what he's saying must be true. Somebody did visit them and did all of these things. And it's interesting because as this happens, Martin is responding one way with deep joy, with deep peace, but Captain Hart responds a different way. He begins to get frustrated. He talks about how he slowly turns ugly. And he starts grilling the mayor of this town, saying, well, where is he? If he did all this great stuff, then where is he? Why, why is he gone? Is he on some other planet? Has he moved on? And all the, the mayor would say is probably. I don't know. And he got so frustrated. Captain Hart got so frustrated with him that he ultimately shoots him. And then he runs off and goes back to the, cap, cap, the, the ship saying, well, I'm going to find him. I'm going to keep on going, and I'm ultimately going to find this man on one of the other planets. And this is the conversation that he has with Martin before he leaves. He says, well, Martin. Martin looked at him. Well, Captain. The captain's eyes were on the sky. Sure you won't come with, with me, eh? No, sir. It'll be a great adventure. By God, I know I'll find him. You are set on it now, aren't you, sir? Asked Martin. The captain's face quivered and his eyes closed. Yes, There's one thing I'd like to know, Martin asks. What? Sir, when you find him, if you find him, what will you ask of him? Why? The captain faltered, opening his eyes. His hands clenched and unclenched. He puzzled a moment, then broke into a strange smile. Why? I'll ask him for a little peace and quiet. He touched the rocket. It's been a long time, a long, long time since since I relaxed. Did you ever just try, Captain? I don't understand, said Hart. Never mind, so long, Captain. Goodbye, Mr. Martin. Crusted by the port. Out of their number, only three were going on with Hart. Seven others were remaining behind, they said with Martin. The rocket lifted into the sky on a pillar of fire. Martin watched it go far away and vanished. At the meadow's edge, the mayor, supported by several men, beckoned. He's gone, said Martin, walking up. Yes, poor man, he's gone, said the mayor. And he'll go on, planet after planet, seeking and seeking. And always and always, he will be an hour late, or a half hour late, or ten minutes late, or a minute late. And finally, he will miss out by only a few seconds. When he has visited 300 worlds and is 70 or 80 years old, he will miss out by only a fraction of a second, and then a smaller fraction of a second. And he will go on and on, thinking to find that very thing which he left behind here, on this planet, in this city. After this, ultimately, the mayor brings Martin to the man, and Martin's life has changed, and he remains on the planet there. So you think the difference between Hart and Martin exposes the difference that we often have in this approach. 
there's really two responses to the fact that Jesus Christ has come and his kingdom is at hand. And I think this is what, what Hart exposes is the deeper problem that we have living in this world. Mark Sayers writes this. He says, post-Christianity is ultimately the project of the West to move beyond Christianity whilst feasting upon its fruit. We are offered the mirage that we can have community without commitment, faith without discipleship, the kingdom without the king. And this is where we see it. See, the two points are inextricably tied. To receive God's inheritance, we must recognize that we are saved for his glory, that our hope must be in Christ. We cannot be king of our lives and receive the inheritance God prepared for us. We don't get the kingdom without the king. And this is the difference. This is the difference that we find. That we don't get to have all that God has for us if we don't accept God as God. Don't recognize that he's the true king of our lives. When I'm uh, preparing for the sermons and, and, and all, I try to be out kind of about, like whether at coffee shops or restaurants or things like that. And I do that because I, I like to be around the community. I like to be around the people. I like to be able to observe what's going on. And one of the things that I've observed uh, in this community and, and I'm sure in other communities is that, that there's a deep restlessness within our context. That there's this anxious weariness that's driving so much of what, what we see, so much of what we experience. The way we'll, we'll manicure our, ourselves, the way we'll manicure our homes, the way we'll manicure our lives, our, our online lives and real lives, the way we, we just destroy our children oftentimes with expectations for their education, the way we um, work to the bone all the time just to get a little more stuff. Underneath all of it, it's just this deep anxiousness, this restless searching. It's something that I see all the time. I recognize it in my own heart at times, and I witness it as I'm out in the community and I think when we see this, I, I have to ask the question, if you're here, are you still searching? Are you still looking for that thing? Is there an anxiousness in your heart right now? Is there a restlessness and a longing that you can't quite get? Because there's, there's two things that are going to happen. You are going to be more like Martin, and you're going to realize that that thing you've been looking for has been here all along. The answer to all of that is Christ, is turning to him, recognizing who he is, and that he is the king of your life, and entering into the kingdom that he has. Or you're going to be more like Captain Hart. You know, it's interesting, another way that the Bible talks about the inheritance is it talks about it as God's rest. That ultimately, through this, you are entering into God's rest. Can you imagine that? The rest that can come from that. Because what I'm, what, I, what I'm so sad about is that many of us, possibly even in this room, but many of our friends, many of the people that we know are going to be 
searching like Captain Hart, going to the next big paycheck, going to the next degree, going to the next uh, pay raise, going to the next bigger house, going to the next, you name it, all in search that thinking if they just get a little bit more, if they get a little bit closer, then finally they'll get that thing that they're looking for. And what breaks my heart is that we will do all of this, go through all of these things and get to the end of our lives and realize that we are no closer to that than when we started. That what we're searching for is not out there. It's not in our accomplishments. It's not in our morality. It's not in any of those things. What we're looking for and what we've been looking for this whole time is Jesus. And he's been here this whole time. And so I ask you again, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you still searching? Because if you are, what you're looking for is here. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful, God, for your work, for the incredible power of your salvation. And God, I pray for those of us in this room who are hearing this, who are in the midst of the search and in the midst of the struggle. Lord, who are restless who are tired, who are anxious, Lord, and always searching for that next thing. God, I pray that you'd give them a peace, Lord, that you would call them, Lord, that you would move in them, and Lord, that they would respond to you. God, that they don't have to search anymore, or that they can find and enter into the rest that you prepared for them. Lord, I pray that we would continue to rest in you, Lord, as we worship Lord, as we live in community, Lord, and as we submit to your rule and reign in our lives, Lord, we thank you that our inheritance is not just stuff we get, but the, the king and the kingdom, Lord, that we get to enter into that, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.